So just this morning, we're coming to the Word of God. And if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like if you could turn to the little book of Jude. Um, you'll find Jude. It's the second last book in your Bible, uh, right before the book of Revelation. And um, this little book, Jude, I believe the fifth shortest book in the Bible. Um, but as we're going to spend some time here this morning, we're going to get acquainted with the theme of Jude, what's in the book of Jude. Um, and I think there's something in the book of Jude here every one of us ought to be acquainted with, ought to be familiar with as we read this morning. So the title of this message is Contending for the Faith. Contending for the Faith. And that phrase is taken from verse 3 of Jude. There is only one chapter in Jude. And that, 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 that title is taken from verse 3, Contending for the Faith. And that verse says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. I'm going to read that again. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Let's bow our heads for a moment and let's pray. Friends, if you've come this morning to hear the word of God, that's my heart's desire is that the Lord would speak through his word, um, that the Lord would speak to you and that you'd leave here today knowing just that the Lord has spoken to you. Father in heaven, Lord, we bow our, we bow our heads before you, we bow our hearts before you, Lord, as we come to, to hear your word this morning, O oh God. Father, I want to treat your word with just the highest regard and, and respect, dear God, and I thank you, Lord, that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, O oh God. Because we have your word, dear God, and because it's so freely accessible to us, we need not walk ignorantly, dear God. We need not be ignorant of the hour we live in, dear God, or, or how we deal with different situations and circumstances in your church or in our lives. Father in heaven, I pray for my friends here this morning, O oh God, and those joining in online, dear God. Father, I pray, dear God, that you'd speak unto us, O oh God, that you'd speak unto every life, dear God. I pray that you'd quicken by your Holy Spirit, dear God. And I pray, dear God, that you'd touch lives this very day. Father, Lord, our hearts desire is for the glory of your name, O oh God. Lord God, that we decrease, but that you increase, Lord. And Father in heaven, O oh God, grant liberty in this house as I open your word and preach this morning, I pray, Lord. Help me, O oh God. I feel my feebleness. I feel my inabilities and weakness, O oh God, Lord. But Father, I know you're greater than all of that, dear Lord. Father, Lord, let your river flow in this house this morning I pray in Jesus mighty name amen amen so we've read verse 3 just the verses preceding that it's two verses uh, Jude the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied that's what precedes this verse that we're taking as our text this morning um, so to introduce you to Jude, I've already said it's the fifth smallest book in the Bible. It's a very short book, just one chapter long, um, just uh, not very many verses there in it at all. And, you know, as we read the, the book of Jude, just uh, the book of Jude, rather, uh, just a casual reading, we understand that it's a book that deals with false teachers in the church and that Jude here is dealing with false teachers in the church and the dangers that surround those who uh, want to... Uh, bring falsehood and bring deceptive things in the church of Jesus Christ. Um, so Jude starts off here in verse 1 and he calls himself the servant of Jesus Christ. Do you know, when he calls himself the servant of Jesus Christ, that word servant there means slave or bond servant. And you know, so easily we read just 
the start of Jude there, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, don't even, uh, doesn't even cost us a second thought to what we've just read there. It seems so basic, so simple. But friends, in that, he, in that he begins by calling himself the servant of Jesus Christ or calling himself the slave or bond servant, I don't think we should just skip over these things. I think it's actually a very notable point that he says this. The first instance in the New Testament, you find that word servant that he uses here comes in Matthew 8. And we remember our friend, the centurion there, as he spoke with Jesus. And this centurion that, co- that said to Jesus, I am like you, Lord, he said, I, I'm a man under authority I'm also a man under authority and do you remember what he said about his servants he said I can say to one servant go and he goes or I say to another one of my servants to come and he comes or I tell this other servant to do something and he does it so that's the first instance we find this word servant when Jude calls himself the servant of Jesus Christ this is what he's talking about right so we start it starts to give us an understanding just really of what a servant is we can have our own ideas of what a servant is and uh, we, we often equate servants with slaves and, and all the negative things there but you know this was a job uh, in the New Testament and in, in days gone by a servant of Jesus Christ Jude calls himself um, do you know When you read out of Jude, you're reading of a man that only thinks of himself or at least only wants to communicate himself to us in the beginning of this book in terms of the Christ that owns him. And I think that's lovely. I think, you know, we should call ourselves the servant of Jesus Christ, this Christ that owns him. He says, I'm not, I, I only want to be known by the one whom I serve. I am a man under authority. This Christ controls me. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. Um, do you know what a good servant does? He's always thinking in terms of what would the master want me to do? You'll remember in Matthew chapter 13, there's a parable there and you know the, the parable it says while men slept that the enemy came and there was a, a field of, uh, of wheat I believe and, and the enemy came and he sowed tares uh, amongst that good seed and you know it was the servants there as Jesus spoke this parable Jesus said it was the servants that came to the master or that landowner and said did you not sow good seed we see weeds starting to grow up um, in, w- with the good seed so you see these servants in Jesus parable they came to the master with concern for what was the masters the servants didn't own the fields the servants were never going to profit from the fields they were there to work for the master but they came as ones they said we see things happening in the fields here that aren't right that aren't good we see weeds starting to grow amongst what was good seed and it causes us concern did you not sow good seed and then further on it says it says that they they say to the master or the landowner there do you want us to go and gather up or pluck up the tares from the field all all, all the all the things that are wrong in in the field and you see here again another aspect of these servants willing to look out for the master's best interests isn't that beautiful when you start so so easily we read over Jude the servant of Jesus Christ and we think we know what that means but when you start to look into these things you start to gain a deeper understanding of um just the heart attitude of a good servant. And I say good servant because there are bad servants. All throughout the Gospels, when we read of servants and the examples that are given of servants, we often read of bad servants or slothful servants or lazy servants or servants that had a different agenda than serving the master and doing what the master wanted. So there's a, that's a good person to listen to. When someone starts by saying, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, I think that's a good person to listen to in the body of Christ. Find good servants of Jesus Christ to follow, friends. Wherever you are in the world listening online, try and find good servants of Jesus Christ to follow. But you know, there's many in this hour in the church and under this great uh, umbrella of Christendom and everything that goes on it, there's many people that would say, well, I follow God, not men. I, I wouldn't follow, uh, it's, it's not right to follow a man. And that's 
sounds very spiritual at first, doesn't it? The first impressions when someone says that, and I've come across people that have literally said this to me, we ought to follow God and not men. We ought to follow God and not men. And you know, at first you can hear it and you kind of go, you can nod in agreement with it. But then you start to think of certain scriptures and then you start to notice certain things in scripture. So people can, can say, I follow God, not men, but they can be, they're actually very, very incorrect. And you know what? You have liberty as a person that believes the Bible. If you have a Bible in your hand, you actually have liberty if you meet such a person to say that saying you don't need to follow a man you just follow God well you can say oh, sorry sir you are incorrect and here's some scriptures some scriptures there to the contrary of that statement Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 be ye followers of me even as I am of Christ do you know Paul the apostle could say these things because he was a man of good character because he was upstanding he wasn't just a fly-by-night. Paul wasn't just some hireling. He was a man with a shepherd's heart who cared for the body of Christ, who cared for the church. And good servants of Jesus Christ can be followed because they themselves take such care to make sure that they do, like we've already seen, what the master wants. So Paul says to the Corinthian church, be ye followers of me, but not just followers of me, even as I am of, uh, of Christ. He said, as you see me follow Christ, Christ is molding and shaping my lives, you follow me in the same way. He said, that's a good path to walk in. Or in 1 Corinthians 4, it says, wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. And you know, if you didn't know Paul, you'd say, oh, well, he, maybe he's a man trying to build a ministry or, or build a little kingdom all on his own, or a man that's trying to manipulate and control people, telling them to follow him. But no, we know who Paul was. We know his character. We know how he lived. We know the things he suffered as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And in Philippians 3, you have there again, brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example, what's he saying? Wherever you find good men and women of God, wherever you find those who can be followed, you follow them, good servants of Jesus Christ. Our first Thessalonians one verse six, he says of them, and ye became followers of us and of the Lord. And you know, if you're following a true servant of Jesus Christ, you will be following the Lord also. You, and ye became followers of us and of the Lord. Second Thessalonians, he said, for yourselves ought know, for yourselves know how ye ought to follow us. For we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you. Again, Paul is laying forth his character there and says, we didn't walk disorderly. We're not doing deceitful things in the church. And ye know, ye know how ye ought to follow us in the example that we have. And again in 2 Thessalonians, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. So friends, if you meet someone in the church tomorrow morning, if you meet someone, a brother or a sister, and they've got this, this notion that they're not to be following any man, you can say that's absolutely wrong. Now I'll admit there's a trouble in, in this hour where you go, who do you follow? Where do you find all these men and women that are, that are striving to live their life subject to the word of God and to walk with the Lord? There's a deficit in this hour, but we will not have it so here in this church. Right. You know, we're, we're pressing on the upward where we're looking for these things. We're looking that the, uh, that the aged women or the mature women in the church be exactly what scripture says. Mature women ought to be young women likewise, older men and younger men, the exact same things. God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path and we need not be ignorant of all of these things. So those who won't follow men or won't follow a good man don't know what they're talking about. Do you know, it says in 1 Corinthians and in Ephesians, it tells us that God has set some people in the church as apostles, we know these scriptures, and prophets and teachers. And friends, why would God raise teachers in the church if it was not necessary to have teachers, to be able to teach, to have people who would sit and listen to teaching? 
And you know, it says people need to be taught. And in Ephesians, it tells us that all of these things, the reason has God set such people in the church is for the perfecting of the saints and for the edifying of the body of Christ. But anyway, back to the book of Jude. The book of Jude is full of warnings about false teachers in the body of Christ. And we'd be very wise to study this little book because we know that we live in an hour that Jesus said would be characterized by falsehood and deception. We remember in Matthew chapter 7 that Jesus said, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Jesus said, you're going to see someone and it looks like a sheep and it sounds like a sheep and it's wearing sheep's clothing. Friends, it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. And if there's a wolf with sheep's clothing on, it meant that a sheep had to die first. Beware of false prophets. So Jesus is actually uh, saying there that we ought to have some kind of a sense of a discernment to be able to weigh and judge and separate out what's false and what's true. Again, Jesus says in Matthew 24, uh, when they asked him about the times that they were living in, what will be the sign of these things? Uh, he said, take heed that no man deceive you and we understand that the last hour we believe we're living in this last hour um, is marked uh, in spiritual things certainly by deception by absolute all-out deception and again you find these true servants of Jesus Christ saying the same things that Jesus said to Paul that, that Jesus said so um, you've Paul to the Ephesian church saying let no man deceive you he's only echoing what Christ has said he says follow me as I follow Christ he's, he's, he's uh, emulating and echoing what Christ has said he says let no man deceive you with vain words and to the Colossians Paul says let no man beguile you of your reward and you have John in the book of 1 John that little book saying believe not every spirit but try the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Friends, if you can find a man of God in this hour who is exhorting people to examine and weigh and judge carefully spiritual things to avoid deception, that is probably a good servant of Jesus Christ right there. At least it's a characteristic of a good servant of Jesus Christ right there. Do you know, we believe in walking in the light. The enemy wants to work, work in darkness and we know what where light is shining, that's a safe place to walk. There's very little you'll trip over if you're watching where you're going and it's light. But when it's in darkness, you can trip over anything. You can't see it there. You can't, you're not pre-warned of these things. Now, friends, we're living in an age where we're expected by the church world to, gullibly, gull, to just gullibly and naively accept everything that calls itself Christian or Christ, like a man or a woman walks in the door and, you know, to say, oh, I'm a, I'm a Christian and I'm part of such a church. You go, praise God, you must believe the same as what I believe, the same as what the Bible preaches. Friends, aren't our experiences taught us that that is just not true? We had better wake up if we expect to walk through a deceptive hour unscathed. You cannot neglect to do these elementary things of scripture and think that you will not be harmed. The elementary things of, of judging, weighing, of heeding scripture when it says about knowing people by their fruits. Friends, we can't just neglect these things and think that they won't harm us or think that they won't hinder what God wants to do in this body. They will. And that's why Jude wrote this book. Do you know who swallows everything that's given to them? Babies. Babies. You give a baby anything, they'll put it in their mouth. Doesn't matter if it's a Mars bar, doesn't matter if it's a, a block of rat poison, and I hope there's no one feeding babies blocks of rat poison. A baby has no sense of discernment. A baby will just take whatever it is given and put it in its mouth. Babies do that. Uh, immature people, uh, those who lack understanding, will do that. Just swallow everything that's given to them. Do you know, I remember one uh, very large-hearted brother in the church, a man that got saved, and, and I mean he was a large-hearted man, just loved the Lord, and just loved talking about the Lord, but he 
he, he used to work with um, some adults with special needs. And, you know, he, he told me one time of this man that he was looking after. There'd been a heavy downpour of rain and it had washed all the moss off the roof. And uh, this man just started picking the moss up and started eating all that moss off the ground. No real sense of discernment or understanding with what was right to consume and what was not. And that's not to believe, oh, we understand there's all these, th all these things in life. But I'm just using that as an example this morning. You know, lacking understanding is, is, is not good enough when we have a Bible and scripture that we need not be ignorant. Or I had a friend one time from a, a different country who lived here in Ireland for a period of years. And I remember one day he was out and he, he picked and ate berries off a bush because they look similar to the berries that they had on the bushes in his country. And he, he was used to eating them. And he had to get himself to hospital very, very quick because what he ate was poisonous. That man, um, he, he had a horrendous time, I believe, that time. Um, just ate berries, just ate what seemed good to him. And we cannot afford, friends, to just eat everything spiritual that looks good, that looks familiar, wolves in sheep's clothing. We can't afford to just start consuming everything that comes our way because it looks good and familiar. We must exercise true spiritual discernment in this hour. So friends, look for true servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where you find them, you will see that they have paid a price to stand for truth. Do you know, I'm telling you, when you read, and I'm just going to just, just look at this here for one second. Um, those who've paid a price to stand for the truth. Paul the Apostle, it says there of his ministry uh, for Christ in 2 Corinthians 11, he said, I was in labors more abundant. Who wants more labors? He said, I was in stripes above measure, talking about being whipped across his back. He said, I was in prisons more frequent, in deaths often. Of the Jews, five times I received 39 stripes or whippings. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and not that kind of stone. Do uh, you know when they took a man to stone him to kill him, right? They threw stones at a human being until he was considered dead. Yeah. Friends, that's, once I was stoned, he said, three times shipwrecked, 24 hours spent in the sea. He said, I was in journeyings often. I was in perils of waters, perils of robbers, perils by my own countrymen, perils by the heathen, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren in wearyings and painfulness, in watchings, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in coldness and nakedness. And besides all that, he said, besides all these things that were, if you like, attacks on, on his body as he went about to just serve the Lord, do his ministry. Besides all these things, he said, I had the care of all the churches on me, this, this, this burden upon me, the care of all the churches, even as I just suffered and endured all of that. And you know, that's what I'm saying here. That's how you know a true servant of Jesus Christ is that they have paid a price to stand for truth. A true servant of Jesus Christ can't just stand back and allow falseness and uh, uh, allow deception just to walk right before them and not say anything or do anything. And by virtue of that, they are, they are one who puts a target on their own back in the sense that they're, they're, they're perceived as someone that just wants to uh, stir up unrest. Why can't you just accept everyone that comes into church? Why can't we just broaden this narrow way? Friends, the Bible says it's a narrow way. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life. We cannot, we cannot afford to neglect these things when that kind of a person says follow me then I know it's someone that's safe to follow someone that has paid a price for truth 
So this is Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. What does this servant of Jesus Christ want to say in his letter? Uh, who did he want to say it to? Why did he write this letter? What did he say in the letter? So we read that he wrote, he wrote it, he says, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Christ Jesus and called. Those three things. Sanctified by God the Father, preserved in Christ Jesus and called. So Jude, we know here, had a specific target audience. It was saved people, born again ones, those washed in the blood. And when he said, he was writing to them that are sanctified by God the Father. That word sanctified there means made holy. I've been made holy by God. If you're sanctified here in the context of what he's saying, he says you're, you're made holy, you're purified, you're consecrated, set apart to God for his will and service. And he says those that were sanctified by God the Father, he acknowledges were also preserved in Christ Jesus and called. And that word preserved in Christ Jesus and uh, it means to be watched. And friends, isn't this lovely? As you think of Christ, as you think of that we're preserved in Christ Jesus. It means that we're being watched or we're being guarded from loss or injury. That's another thing that preserved means being guarded from loss or injury. It means keeping an eye upon how good, how lovely, how precious to know this morning that our Heavenly Father looks down upon our lives. He's keeping an eye upon us. He's preserving us from guarding us from loss or injury. And that's what preserved in Christ means. And then these called ones, he acknowledges, were invited or appointed unto salvation. Friends, praise God, he's still calling people and sanctifying them and keeping a close eye on them. And you here that sit in this room this morning, born again, your evidence of that, your evidence that God is still working even in this city and that God still saves. And friends, by all of this, we can honestly and safely say of this book of Jude, that Jude wrote this letter to us here this morning. We can claim that as just as much as he wrote it uh, when he wrote it fresh back then to his audience back then. He wrote it ju just as much to us this morning, preserved and sanctified and, and these called ones here in this room. And friends, what a lovely greeting from the man of God. He goes on to say, mercy unto you and peace and love. Be what? Added? No, it does not say added there. He said, be multiplied to you. He said, I don't want you just to have mercy and have peace and have love. He said, I want this. I want you to have it exponentially. He said, I want you to know all of God's mercy and all of his peace and all of his love and when a man that identifies himself as the servant of Jesus Christ who knows who his target audience is that he is specifically addressing believers and who seeks the welfare and good and blessing of those believers that man has my attention for what he's going to say next and the next thing he goes on to say friends that's a rare man in this hour someone that has such a care over the body of Christ and such a concern for your welfare do you know Joe, Jude back then writing this letter and he probably didn't know or understand maybe this letter was going to end up in the scripture we'd have here today but friends there's a real sense in which he had your welfare in mind as he wrote about false teachers and that's a rare man in this hour if you find one of them that's a good servant of Jesus Christ and all of that proceeds verse 3 where he says beloved beloved again he's just a man with a love for the body of Christ it's the saints beloved when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints unto the saints all this man of God wanted to do was to write to these believers about our common salvation. He says it there. He says, when I gave all diligence to write to you of the common salvation, that's all he wanted to do, writing about salvation. All he wanted to do was talk about justification and redemption and the atonement and the precious blood of Jesus and the finished work of the cross and all of Christ's accomplishments. That's what he wanted to write to, this, to these believers that he was writing to. And it said he gave all diligence to write to them about that. That's what he wanted to do. That's where his focus was. Uh, that was what his intention was to do. But when he went to do it, he was pressed. He was more pressed 
pressed to write unto them with an exhortation instead. And what was the man of God's exhortation? He says, you need to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. I just wanted to talk to you about the simple things of salvation, but instead I have to come to you with a warning. Instead I have to come to you with an exhortation, an attempt to stir you up. He says, I just wanted to write to you to talk about salvation, but instead I sense that I need to stir you up, to ready you, to prepare you, to exhort you to fight. You are going to have to fight for your faith. That's what he's saying. And friends, you are going to have to fight for your faith in this room, in this hour we live in. You're going to have to fight for that faith once delivered to the saints. And so we see when, when he says that faith once delivered to the saints, we know he's not looking forwards, he's looking backwards here. Notice that when he says that he's looking backwards, he's not looking forward to some new way of doing faith or some new way of worshipping the Lord or some new, new means or strategy. And we see the churches in this hour are full of new means and strategies and gimmicks of religion. No, for he just seems enamored with something that they had way back there in the past. He said, that faith that was once delivered to the saints. And friends, the tendency as we go forward is that, is that, is that uh, things become less. You know, I, I think of, I come from um, the, a background in the Methodist church before I got saved. Just dead religion, grew up in the Methodist church, might as well be in uh, um, any church of, of any religion, right? But when you read of the history of Methodism and how it started, and there's men that preached fire, and there's men that were preachers anointed of the Holy Ghost and, and quickened and to raise up that movement, and you see what it is now, you know, there's been a lessening. There's been a big lessening. It's, it's totally different now than what it was when it started off. And we know that's the natural tendency of things. You take anything, you, you, you plant a plant in your garden and you just leave it alone. And it, you know, you don't have to plant weeds to grow up around it. They'll just come. And there's a diminishing as time goes on. We understand that. And Jude says here that that historical faith that those saints had, he said, we need to have and we need to earnestly contend for it. And he said, we, and we can infer from what he said that this faith, which was once delivered to the saints, is to be the benchmark or the example or what we measure off of or the standard that we look to or the rule uh, if that, that, we, that we take to measure to measure off of that faith which was once delivered to the saints we're to earnestly contend for it and friends why am I saying all this to us here this morning because I am interested in raising our levels of expectancy friends I am very interested in that for us as a church for you as individuals raising our levels of expectancy if it's correct for us to be aiming up here, I don't want us aiming just a little bit down here. Do you know, if, if we read scripture and we kind of go, well, it's, we understand then that uh, as believers, we're ought to be aiming and setting ourselves in that direction. Oh, dare we, dare we lessen that and say, well, I'm only going to aim this high. That's why I'm saying this this morning. We ought to aim high. And I don't want us aiming any lower than that. Friends, there's depths that you and me have never known of. There is experiences we have not had. Uh, there's, a, there's an overflowing, mighty reservoir we have not learned how to tap into yet. I'm telling you, I'm telling you friends, you know, aim for Everest here, not small hilltops. You know, if, if I go up Keeper Hill outside the city, or if I go up Gallows Hill, and I find someone up there walking around, rejoicing, going, oh, I made it to the top of Everest. I start looking at that fella sideways and go, you go, friend, this isn't Everest. And you know, you, you see, it they're up there, they're excited that they're on Everest. And I said, that's absolutely absurd. I said, you're not right. You don't appear to know the first thing about Mount Everest. You think you're there. You think this is Everest. You actually think that this is it. 
You're deceived. You're deluded if you do. Friends, when someone sets out ambitious to reach the summit of an Everest, their lifetime goal. We've heard of people that have done this. They've made this their lifetime goal. All that they wanted to do. All that they wanted to accomplish in life. You see it in them. You hear it from them. They're fanatical about it. That's all they ever talk about is how they're aiming high. And if they're serious, you then expect them to find them in some precarious places along the way. You see them make unusual sacrifices for their goal. Training hard conditioning themselves. People don't just walk to the top of Mount Everest unless you're some very strange individual. But friends, people devote their lives to this. And if someone says, well, I'm intending to go to the summit of Everest, well, I expect to see certain things in their life. What do you mean you don't own one of those those suits to keep you warm. What do you mean? You're just going to walk up there? What do you mean? You're not not training. You think this is just a a walk in the park here? Friends, you go, you know, if you don't see that, (laughs) you can call them deluded. If you think, if you think that driving most of the way to the top of a keep or hill or a, or a gallows hill and then walking around for a while will prepare you for an Everest and you're deceived. And friends, we, I know we find that analogy kind of humorous this morning, but it goes on in the church. Right. It goes on in the church. Yeah. You find people on little hilltops and you're kind of going, this is it, this is revival. This is, we're, 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 we've hit the heights here. We're on, we're on Mount Everest. We're, uh, we've, we've made it to the very top. This is the pinnacle. And I go, really? 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 Is this it? You think this is it? You think this is, you think this, this is the sum total of, of, of all of Scripture and all of God's work in our lives? That we're up here on little hilltops. Friends, look beyond the hilltops. Look higher. There's an Everest to be scaled. And I, you know, friends, I'm talking, about, I'm talking about going on all the way with the Lord. I'm talking about raising our expectancy. Friends, you know, if you don't believe there's a deliverance for you in whatever it is you need deliverance from, well, it's highly unlikely that you're going to seek deliverance. If you don't think that it's possible that your circumstances should change, well, then you're not really going to be asking, are you, if you don't think that's possible. And I want us to see what's possible. I want our eyes lifted up this morning. I want us to see Christ. I want us to see the pattern of these things in Scripture. Uh, Friends, if you don't think you're going to be baptized or filled with the Holy Ghost, then it is highly improbable that you will be baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. There must be a seeking and a yearning after these things. And if you're not willing to earnestly contend for that faith once delivered to the saints, then it is highly unlikely we will ever know such a faith. If we are unwilling to earnestly contend, how will we ever know it? Friends, what am I saying here this morning? I'm saying it's time we took God at his word. I'm saying it's you know, high time we awoke out of our sleep, as it were. I'm saying it's time we realize that he never changes. You know, the people he's always dealt with through scriptures, they're just like you and me. We think of a Moses, we think of a, a, an Abraham, we think of all these people and kind of go, oh, well, they had it different, they had it different. Friends, do you know, the Bible says that uh, uh, we know what the flesh is, we know what the flesh is, and we know every person after them, they've had that flesh nature, they know what the flesh is. But friends, you can aim for the highest. He never changes. He still saves. He still heals. He still delivers. Jesus Christ is still the baptizer with the Holy Ghost and with fire. I don't care what your experience has been of that this morning, whether you've sought and left off seeking or whether you've never even heard or whether you say it's just not possible. Friends, I am telling you, if we believe our scriptures, he says Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today and forever. And if he filled with the Holy Ghost back then, he can fill with the Holy Ghost today. And if he's able to save back then, he can save this morning. Friends, we're evidence of these things in this very room this morning. But don't we often go around spiritually feeling bankrupt. You go, I've got no spiritual money in my spiritual pockets. You kind of go, friend, there's a bank account there that you've got access to. You, you, you can tap into, that you can lay a hold You can lay a hold upon. Do you know, just as we sat here, we came into this prayer meeting on uh, on, uh, on on Friday night and um, um, 
I came in this prayer meeting and I'm just being honest with you, I felt my, my heart was in the ground. I just, all day just, just prepare and I've been praying and prepare, trying, trying my best to prepare all week for preaching and I feel like I'm getting nowhere and I try to pray and it just, just it's, it's not happening. I'm stumbling over my words. I sit at the computer to type uh, words for this message and I, I can't even type a word. I'm just stumbling and tripping over myself and I came in here to the prayer meeting on Friday night and my, my heart was on the floor I mean that you know and Brother Soph was going to open the meeting I was like oh I'll just get into the prayer meeting and then Brother Soph texted and said he couldn't come that Elias was sick and I'm not blaming him for that this morning you know but like we was here a few minutes before the prayer meeting and I'm honest I'm just being honest with you I'm going to my heart Lord how can I open a prayer meeting how can I stand up and exhort these people to pray and open this prayer meeting and I just I just just poured my heart out as best I could just down in that seat there uh, before the prayer meeting and came up here and we, we opened the prayer meeting and uh, you know just friends we just got honest you know and you go, go Lord we need your help we, 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 there has to be more than this we must press through just spoke for a brief moment it came to mind to, think, to, to speak about uh, that woman with the issue of blood and how despite her issue of blood she just managed to uh, uh, press through the very real crowd and lay a hold upon Jesus and she got that virtue flowing and she was healed in her body and she knew the power of the Lord and friends do you know what like I, does people text, have text, texted since that prayer meeting just to say that they just like that, that, that they were moved upon by the Lord. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. I can tell you, it wasn't me. If you saw me before this meeting, but it's just that just just the Lord in that prayer meeting, quick and start. Just faith had to rise in hearts, and people had to say, "I will press through. <coughs> I will lay a hold upon Him. I will touch this Christ." <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus Christ, still the baptizer with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Jude goes on to talk about certain men who crept in unawares into the body of Christ. And we'll talk more about them in a minute. But it's because of these men that Jude, said, Jude says we need to earnestly contend. Now, when we think of contending earnestly, we think of fighting seriously. We think sincerely of, of, of being completely devoted to the task. That's what earnest contending is. Uh, we don't read that word contending and dream for one second that it's a, a relaxing kind of a word or it's a, it's a passive kind of word, something that can be done casually or without thought or planning. If, if, if somebody said to you, I'm going contending and I have a fight coming up and they're just casual about it, and you said, you're, again, you're deluded. Um, but friends, we don't think of this word contending. It's not a, a casual word or it's not something that, that's entered into without thought or planning. Now, before someone goes to war, it says they count the cost. Jesus says in Luke 14, 31, what king going to make war against another king sits not down first and consults whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that comes against him with 20,000? Do you know, I just read this morning in Proverbs 20, verse 18, it says, every purpose is established by counsel and with good advice make war. Friends, there's no singularity here. It's not you individually going to war necessarily, but we must go to war. Do you know, um, <clears throat> do you know um, bear with me, I'm sorry. Contending requires for planning, a setting of the mind in a direction, a determination, a fixing of your mindset. I, this is the direction I'm going in. I understand that I must contend for this faith. And it needs that kind of a determination or a stubbornness to not be easily moved out of the way. And contending, friends, is a dirty work. Who really wants to have to fight? And friends, I'm not saying we need to physically fight. It says in scripture that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But you can be sure that this spiritual contending we're involved in is bound to be as dirty a work as any street fight you've ever heard about. 
It's not easy, it's not enjoyable, but friends, it's absolutely necessary if we are going to know anything about that faith once delivered to the saints. And as I've been thinking about that faith once delivered to the saints over these past few days in preparation for this message, I find myself thinking very much of Peter in the upper room prior to that day of Pentecost. And could Peter ever have actually imagined what was just about to happen in a few days? Could he ever have imagined it? We know who Peter was, we know what he had done, and and, and his, his whole life was about to change. And he was doing what he was told to do. He was tarrying, waiting, praying, no doubt. His mind, I believe, plagued by remorseful thoughts, probably kicking himself. Peter, how could you deny Christ like that? Peter, when will you ever learn? Friends, I'm telling you, it was not going to be long till the Holy Ghost descended in their upper room and changed that man. They were tarrying. The Holy Ghost did not fall on all of Jerusalem. The Holy Ghost fell on that upper room where they had set themselves in a direction and said, we will tarry. We've been given this instruction to tarry we will wait we will wait till we're endued with power from on high and that man had blown it so many times we know Peter's impulsiveness his forwardness his over willingness to talk and, and we, we, all his impulsiveness in those things and this man was about to be mightily used by this great God and he was about to be filled with the Holy Ghost and faith and he was about to embark on a journey that he never dreamed he would be embarking on Things were about to radically change. Friends, Jesus still baptizes with the Holy Ghost and fire and you need it and I need it and we need it and we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. You know it says in John chapter 7 and it talked about, it says that last day, that great day of the feast, um, Jesus stood and he cried. He says, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He says, he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And it says there just after that, it says, this spake he of the Spirit, which which, um, which uh, hadn't been uh, given forth yet because he hadn't, uh, um, he hadn't, he wasn't yet glorified. But you know what it says there? So that's the last day of this field. He's standing up and he's saying, if any man thirst, and I believe Christ would say this morning in our midst, if any man thirst, if any woman thirst, the only prerequisite to this is thirst. It's not that you have your life all in order. It's not that you've, you've all your T's crossed and your, your I's dotted. If any man thirst, is there a thirst there this morning? I believe Christ would go through this room looking for someone who is thirsty. He said, if any man thirst, then let him come unto me and drink. And he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And it spoke, it was speaking, he was speaking about the Holy Ghost. But when you go over to Acts chapter 2 and verses 32 and verse 33 there, it says that, that, that and again, Peter speaking uh, on this day of Pentecost, he says, This Jesus has God raised up, whereof we're all witnesses of it. And therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, hang on, Christ wasn't. Christ was here on earth, but he says, and remember Jesus had said, the Holy Ghost had not been given because he was not yet glorified. Well, now Peter says, now he's by the right hand of God exalted. And it says, he's received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost. And he said, this, what you're seeing here now in Jerusalem, this he is now shed forth with this which ye see and hear. And I imagine Jesus there up at the right hand of the Father. And this is a total wrong picture, but you know, I think it's a picture that, it's a picture that sticks in my mind. Jesus with this bucket of the Holy Ghost, just tipping it forth and pouring it out upon that upper room. And here's the Holy Ghost now he's been given. And 
the whole purpose of this, Jesus said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And he said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Look what happened, Peter, on the day of Pentecost. Look what can happen to you or me in a meeting just like this. Friends, aim high. We know where do we read in scripture this finished or this ended? Aim high. We need to be seeking. We need to be asking and seeking and knocking. Friends, there is no reason why we should not know and experience and see everything that is written in our Bibles. None whatsoever. Not because we live in 2023. These didn't stop at the end of 2022 or 2000. 22. Friends, we must have expectancy for these things. And when you start to look around the church world and see what fear and unbelief and hardness of heart has caused, and that there's such a low level of expectancy, most places you know, most places you've experienced, most Sunday mornings you have ever gone to, most church services, you've gone in there and you know there was very little expectancy that that meeting was going to be any different than all of the Sunday mornings preceding it. Isn't that true? And friends, we're in danger of that here. We must press on. We must look up. And when you start to look around and see what fear and unbelief and hardness of heart has caused and that there's such a low level of expectancy, everywhere you look in the the world, at the church, for the most part, for the most part, and thank God there's exceptions, but everywhere you look, you see men and women full of ambition and full of pride. I mean, their own worldly ambition, full of pride, full of high thoughts about themselves and their ministries and the things that they're working to build up. And you have to ask yourself the question, friends, is this really it? Is this really the church that Christ died for? Is this really how it ought to be in the earth? Is this it? Are we on these little foothills around Mount Everest, and are we on these little foothills and we're foothills and we're going, this is it, this is this is as high as it gets, this is as much as we can expect. Or is there more? Or is there more? Friends, do you know they'll say we're in revival so often around the world, we're having a revival, or there is a revival. And for the most part, friends, for the most part, people haven't a clue what real revival is. What real revival is. They're trying every new gimmick to fill churches. Modern evangelism methods that are simply modeled on contemporary advertising strategies that the world uses. That the world uses. Friends, you know, you've stood at one time or another close to someone that hadn't had a shower in a few days. Someone stinking of sweat. They're doing hard work, sweaty work, and they're not washing themselves. And you know that smell, and that's not a nice smell, is it? And it's a smell that you want to get away from. Uh, Friends, I do think that that's what much of the church must smell like to God in this hour. Men sweating, men working hard, trying to produce results that men were never meant to produce. Trying very hard, just that stench of sweat. There was a reason in that Old Testament priesthood that these garments were made of linen. No no smell of sweat, no no sweat involved in the production of this or in the, the carrying out of these things. Jude wrote here that it was needful for him to write this. It was needful for him to write it about contending. Why, Jude? What motivated you to write this? Why did you count it so needful? What's actually propelling you to write this? What's fueling this desire to exhort us to contend? Why do you have such a sense of need? And he says, for there are certain men, and this is the reason, this is the reason Jude says, this is why you have to contend for the faith. Because he said, there are certain men crept in unawares, came in sideways, snuck in the back door, crept in without you being aware of it, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in Romans 16 there, and where it says about marking those who cause divisions and offenses in the church and, 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 and avoiding them, 
It says so clearly, and I just love the simplicity Paul puts it. He says, they serve not our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he says. They do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ. They think they do. Many think they do. But Paul the Apostle says here, they do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, even if they say they do. And you realize the potentially destructive influence of these kinds of men on sincere believers. He says in verse 5 of Jude there, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Did you hear what he just said there? He said, God, we know the story of the, ex, or the Exodus and, and God raising up Moses and Aaron to deliver his people out of Egypt. And he said... He said, God did that. God brought them out of Egypt. But he said, afterwards in the wilderness, he destroyed them that believed not. Friends, where did this unbelief come from that they had? This murmur, he said, he said, destroyed them that believed not. So where did that unbelief that they had come from? It says, there was murmuring in the camp. There was sin. There was rebellion. There was refusal to obey God and questioning the leadership there that God had raised up in the, in, amongst them. Uh, questioning motives, wrong motives. God said, Moses said, he said in the Old Testament that the people's chiding with him, when the people chided with Moses and complained to him and, mur and, and murmured to Moses, when, when they did that with Moses, he said, what you're doing, you're tempting God. Yeah, yeah. When, you, when you chide with, with leaders, you are tempting God. And that's not to say that any leader is unquestionable. Yeah. There's an order in these things. So he says, Jude says, I'll put you in remembrance. You once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Then he goes on to say, I said, what about the angels? The angels who kept not their first estate. He said, but they left their own habitation. He said, he's reserved them in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. And then he gives a third example of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we know the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner. He says, giving, giving themselves over to fornication and going after a strange flesh he said they're set forth for an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire and Jude said like those who had a testimony out of Egypt but were destroyed and like the angels that didn't keep their first estate and are now reserved in everlasting chains under darkness and like these wicked cities Sodom and Gomorrah like they gave themselves over to fornication and suffered the vengeance of eternal fire he said all of them are like these false teachers in the church but see, you and me, we didn't realize that false teaching was really that grievous, did we? No, he said, it's the exact same. He said, that sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, that fornication going after strange flesh. He said, the angels, he said, that rose up with pride and left their first estate. That the angels that are now kept in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Or those people that were destroyed in wilderness, they all walked out there. They all had a testimony. And he said, he said, no, no, that's the exact same as these false teachers in the church. That's exactly what I think of false teachers in the church. Do you, know what he, do you know what he calls them? Filthy dreamers. And he said of all of them that are like these false teachers in the church, listen to the kind of terminology that this holy man of God uses. Jude 1 verse 8, he said, Likewise also these filthy dreamers, they defile the flesh, they despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Dignities there means things that are honorable, things that are praiseworthy, glorious things. He said, they're not afraid to speak evil of them. He said, the things you count precious as you strive to walk the narrow way, the things you count important in the church, the bride of Christ, he said, they're not afraid to speak evil of them. They despise dominion. Won't come, won't come under any authority. Despise dominion. They're filthy dreamers, he said. They defile the flesh. And Jude talks about these false teachers in the same breath as fallen angels, unbelieving, rebellious Israelites, and cities as vile as Sodom and Gomorrah. And none of those three had a happy ending. And neither will these false teachers in the body of Christ. Mm 
Friends, we have to realize that it was the Holy Ghost that used Jude to write this one little book in the Bible. The Holy Ghost wanted this book in our Bible that we read today. And we're meant to understand that it is not okay for everyone just to have an opinion in the church. It's not okay for false teachers just to have free reign in the church. It's not okay that people with malicious motives are allowed to just be part of everything. And when you see the punishment of false teachers right there beside the punishment of Sodom and Gomorrah, you start to understand God, that God's church is to be holy. Friends, this all points to the holiness of God. What is holiness? Holiness is separation. God is utterly separate from all that this world is, from all that wickedness is, from all that sin is. God says he wants a holy bride, a holy church, a holy people. Be ye holy as I am holy. He will have a holy bride without spot or blemish. Friends, he will. Whether you and me are going to be part of that in this room or not, he said he will have a holy bride. There's going to be no spot or blemish in it. He will not tolerate what is acceptable. He will not tolerate people creeping in unaware and those who are ungodly and those who interfere he says here with the grace of God and want to turn it into something that's filthy and vile and wanton God will not tolerate in his church any denial of his lordship or of his Christ and he would have us aware this morning that many people left Egypt those people that left Egypt right they had good spiritual leadership they all followed the pillar of cloud and fire a testimony God leads me God, God, God's actually leading me through a wilderness that I don't know my way through. They all had that testimony. They all had a good testimony of deliverance. God passed through the land and he killed all the firstborn of the Egyptians and we were delivered by the blood. They all had that testimony. And they all had testimonies of supernatural provision by God and the manna and the quail. He feeds us every day. Let me tell you a story about my God, I testify. He, oh, he provides everything I need. Every morning I go out, there's food there. He provides everything I need. My clothes, they've never wore out all these years. We've walked through the wilderness. My shoes, they've, they've, they've just seem to have grown on my feet and never worn out. And every one of them that came out of Egypt could testify how God miraculously delivered them by the opening of the Red Sea. You're not going to believe this, what God did for me. God just caused, he says, by the blast of his nostrils, he caused his wind and the water stood deep. And I crossed over that Red Sea that you see there on dry ground. Friends, they all had this testimony of how God delivered them from the enemy. Do you hear me? They all had this testimony of how God delivered them from the enemy. And it says in scripture though, that with many of them, God was not well pleased. Just because you have a testimony of salvation, just because you can say, God leads me, God guides me, God's provided for me. Just because you can say that um, uh, God, 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 needs, God has, has delivered me and brought me across uh, impossible situations. Just because you can say all that, it is not a rubber stamp of approval of God on your life. It's, it's, it's just not. All it means is that God is gracious and good. And that God, you know, the Bible says that God calls, causes the, uh, the sun to shine on the, on the evil and the good. They all had a testimony of how God delivered them from the enemy. But God was not well pleased with many of them. It says that they lost it. Amongst them, there was those that lost it. They were idolaters. They committed fornication. It says they tempted Christ. This is all in 1 Corinthians 10, by the way. They tempted Christ. They murmured. And Jude said here, after they had come out of Egypt, that God destroyed them that believed not. Do you remember what Christ said? Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord. Not everyone that says to me. He said, many will stand before me in that day and they'll say, Lord, we've done this in your name. We've done miracles in your name. Many mighty works in your name, Lord. Lord, look at all the things we've done for you. And he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. 
friends I'm talking about him and I here I'm talking about like the cost is so great here we cannot afford we're looking to walk a narrow way we're looking for a holy and a pure bride of Christ we need to deal with we need to have a readiness to deal with falseness if we find falseness in our own lives we need to have a readiness to deal with that not to hide it not to sweep it under the carpet not to left it, leave it undealt with bring it bring it before the Lord bring it under the blood say Lord I'm going to put these things right gonna, do you know I've heard people over the years, oh, I just don't know how I could get saved. I just don't know what God wants me to do. I just, uh, do you know, I've heard people over the years saying that, like, friends, do you know, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we know exactly what God requires from us. Oh, it's not that difficult. We know exactly what God requires. We know exactly the things that God has put his finger on in our lives, pointed out, said, that's wrong, that has to go. Why won't God? Are we starting to gain an understanding here for why we must earnestly contend for that faith we once delivered to the saints? The reason, friends, we must earnestly contend for it is because there is a great effort of Satan and his ministers in this hour we live in to dilute what is strong. Satan wants to steal and kill and destroy. That's what the Bible says. Satan wants to dirty what is clean and defile what is holy. We must arise in this hour. Friends, faith has to arise in this hour. Every one of us, I think, know what it is to be opposed by the enemy as we seek just to seek the Lord and to, to do his will. Just that opposition that comes, discouragements that come, just this just, just relentless um, opposition from the enemy. Do you know what? In fact, just like Paul the Apostle, when we read down that list of all the things he faced, all the things that came, the weaknesses, uh, the, the shipwrecks, the trials, the beatings, the mockings, all these things, is it any different from what Christ had to endure on his way to the cross? Friends, faith has to arise in this hour and we must be willing. We must settle it in our hearts. We are willing to do battle. Every believer is necessary in the body of Christ. It doesn't matter that you're just saved or that you're not long in the door. It's your calling is a call to arms. Friends, you've been conscripted into the army of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And his soldiers are well familiar with battle. Just read the testimonies down through the ages, all throughout scripture. These all died in faith. His soldiers are well familiar with battle. His soldiers have the finest of armor, in fact. His soldiers have a rich heritage. His soldiers are mighty men of valor who did exploits for their king. Friends, you were just a sinner lost in your sin and you became aware of your need for a savior. You didn't realize that he was recruiting soldiers, but here you are, part of the Lord's army. Paul says in Ephesians 6 verse 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This is who we're wrestling against. It's satanic forces. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Friends, this armor is exactly suited to the type of battle we need to do. Maybe you don't feel like much of a soldier and I, I sense that this is a great problem for many of us and I know it certainly is with me. I don't feel like much of a soldier. Maybe you, like Peter, say, I've let the Lord down. I can't fight. There's no way I could see that the Lord could use me. I'm too weak. I'm such a failure. And to that I say this morning, friend, are you limiting this great God? Are you actually sat there before God, dictating what God can and cannot do with you? Are you so overwhelmed by what you are or what you've done that you can't even see that this mighty God can and will use you? You know, isn't it an interesting thing to know that in creation, God spoke and he said, planet Mars, you go there. <laughs> and planet Jupiter, you go there. 
and star, you go there, and all these things. And yet when it comes to us dealing with the Lord, how often the Lord says do something and we say no. Are you dictating what God can and cannot do with you? Are you so overwhelmed by what you are or what you've done that you can't even see that this mighty God can and will use you? Friends, it's very simple. If you're wrong, get right. If you're backslidden, it's time to repent and slide a little bit forwards. If you're outside looking in at salvation, it's time to earnestly seek the Lord. Friends, he can save you in just one moment. If you're empty, he can fill you in just one moment. If you're broken, he can fix you all in one moment. If all around you is disaster and chaos, he can bring order and peace just in one moment. But do we believe it? Friends, I believe it this morning. And you know what happens? You start to believe it. You start to go, Lord, I start to get excited again about walking with the Lord just in one moment. Do you know one of those old glory courses? I'm not sure if we've sang it here, but one of those old glory courses, um, just a touch of the nail-pierced hand, just a touch of the nail-pierced hand will banish your burdens and cares, just a touch of the nail-pierced hand. Friends, don't you dare sit there this morning and think that whatever you're facing is bigger than this great God. It is not, and if you think it is, understand, acknowledge this morning, you have been lied to. If you think you're facing some circumstance and it is bigger than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you have been lied to, hoodwinked. You've actually allowed Satan to make God very, very small in your eyes. And it's time to repent over that and run back to God. Friends, what do you reach for if there's writing that's too small to read? A magnifying glass. What does that magnifying glass do? It makes the small appear big. And what do you need to do if God has become small in your eyes? You need to magnify him. Right. Do you know a magnifying glass? You think of how you use it. You move this little piece of glass between your eye and what it is you're wanting to perceive right. Mm. And what does that magnifying glass do? It makes you perceive it right. It makes what looks blurry become clearer. Friends, what is our magnifying glass? It's faith. It's believing in the Lord. Doesn't clarity start to come and you go, Lord, I will believe you. Lord, I can believe you. I see this morning, I can believe you. Psalm 34, and I'm going to read most of it here, says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. It says, I sought the Lord and he heard me. Listen to me, friends, this morning, right? The psalmist is saying, I sought the Lord and he heard me. And I want you to know here today that you can seek the Lord and know that he hears you too. He says, I sought the Lord and he heard me. I want you to put yourself in Psalm 34 here today. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. I want that to be every one of your testimony soon, friends. He delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. It says, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. It says, the angel of the Lord encamps around them that fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. Did you hear that, friends? The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open this morning, friends. We have to believe that his ears are open unto our cry. 
The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saves such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked. And they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust him shall be desolate. Friends, none of them that trust him shall be desolate. I'm nearly finished. Friends, we have to believe that it gets better than this. We have to. We have to believe that there are deeper waters to press out into, waters to swim in. And I challenge you and I challenge us here this morning to earnestly contend for this faith once delivered to the saints. There should be a testimony of deliverance in this church always. A testimony of life, more than that, abundant life. Everywhere the church goes, it is supposed to create the conditions for life, spiritual life. And if it ceases to do that, then it actually ceases to become something that can be called the church in God's eyes. In Ephesians, we read the phrase, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Friends, it's time to redeem the time. And how do you redeem the time? You start doing the things that you ought to have been doing all along. Where you haven't made time for the Lord, begin to make time for the Lord this week. Where you've left off fasting and denying yourself, begin to fast again. Have you left off taking up the cross? Take up your cross. You can become so overwhelmed by all of your failure that it seems an absolutely impossible task to ever get back right with God again. But friends, God is a God of the impossible. Have we forgotten that? Have we forgotten it? Do you know that when Jesus went to die on that cross, he had full knowledge of where you would be today, be it in a good or a bad place. He knew the lowest lows you would feel and experience. And yet still he went to the cross, he still bled, and he still died for you. There's so much provision made in the cross, friends. Do we see it? Will we see it? Will we enter into that provision of the cross? When Jesus shed his blood for sin, he shed it for all sin. Hear me this morning. He shed his blood for all sin. Sin in a sinner's life and sin in a Christian's life. And do you want proof? It says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. He's writing to believers. He said, I'm writing these things to you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, so he says it's possible that a Christian could have sinned, a Christian could be in sin. If any man sin, know this, friend. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So he's making a difference between believers, my little children, he says, and he says, propitiation, not for ours only, as the church, but also for the sins of the whole world. But that old devil would tell you that you're a Christian, and you should have known better and that the blood is for sinners, but that you've sinned away all possibility of restoration, and that there could be no hope for you. Lies. Absolute lies, friends. He's a liar, and he's a liar from the beginning, and he's the father of lies. All he ever does is corrupt the word of God. And stop allowing that liar to spoon-feed you adulterated, twisted portions of Scripture. Do you know, why do you think the enemy takes such care to try and stop someone in their tracks? Believer. Why do you think he takes such care to make sure he does a thorough job of that? To bind them up with thoughts, paralyze them, just bring them to a standstill. Why do you think he does that? 
terrified, absolutely terrified of what happens when a saint of God looks up and says, I can reach through and touch this Christ. I can know the fullness of his Holy Spirit. Oh man, I tell you, like the devil trembled in Jerusalem that day. They poured, when the day the Holy Ghost was poured out in that upper room. Friends, look at what happened, the result, the knock-on effect. Friends, I'm telling you, the enemy is terrified of what can happen when a church lays a hold of the Lord. It's time to get back to a place of victory. It is time to ready ourselves to do battle. It is time for restoration. It's time for this church to become effective. It's time for us in this room this morning. It's time for us to mature and grow and press on in the things of God. I find myself yearning for that, for me, for you. Friends, just preparing yesterday, praying, just praying for every one of you here, every one of you, just Lord, Grant us the victory. Bring us on. I, you know, in some ways, I don't even see how in my own life. How, Lord? How do I pray? But I'm going, Lord, I'm open. Like, you show me. You direct my paths. You direct my paths. Friends, we don't have time to be stationary. We don't have time to be passive anymore. It's time to awake and put on strength. Arise from the dead, it says, and Christ will give us life again. You know, Brother Brory in the prayer meeting on Friday night, he prayed this scripture. I didn't even have to look it up as he prayed it. And as he was praying it out loud, I was praying it quietly with him to myself. It was Micah 7 verse 8. It says, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy, for when I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. And friends, you wouldn't believe how often I've gone to that scripture. I learned it by heart. I've weaponized that scripture. I've used it. I've used it to blow Satan's lies away. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, my God shall be a light unto me. Another one is Joel 2.25. That precious verse reminds us there that this great God is able to give back the years that the locust has eaten. And when locusts come into a land, a plague of locusts come into a land, they eat and devour and consume every green thing and they do not stop until it's all gone. And that's a type of sin. And that's a picture of what Satan wants to do in our lives. Sin is like locusts. And if something has eaten every green thing in your life, as you look at your life and you go, I see it's like everything living. There's no signs of anything living there anymore. Maybe even for years and years, I'll tell you, God is able to restore that to you. That's what the word of God says. Now, friends, it's time to contend again, to get back in the fight, to get off the fence, to get away from the periphery and to get into the center of the thing again. It really is time to take every little thing and every, every little thought that your conscience has been paralyzing you in your life and set that thought, that thing, that obstacle, whatever it is, it's time to set it there in front of you and to begin to attack that with scripture and to lay it before the Lord and go, Lord, that thing will not remain, that will not stay, that will not characterize the next years of my life. I am going to get the victory over that. And thoughts are a big one, friends. And if you don't do that, that thing will only grow. It will only become more and more and greater and greater. And if you're not saved and there's hindering thoughts, it's time to deal with those hindering thoughts. If you have thoughts that you can't be saved or you, it's too difficult for you or there's something peculiar to you, friends, I'm telling you, it's all lies. It's time to deal with every hindering thought. Friends, I love you here this morning. I care about you. I want you. I want us to succeed as a church. If you're unsaved, I want you to know this salvation. And friends, do you know how, how far away is it? It's that close this morning. It's a call upon the name of the Lord. Friends, the whole purpose of this little, little book of Jude is to warn us, to prepare us, to make sure we're in a good place for dealing with error and deception and false teachers in the church. Listen to this in the end of the book of Jude, and I'm closing with this. Jude says, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you that there should be mockers in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit, but ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, 
praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God. This is a remedy. This is fuel for the fight, friends. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And if some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless. What a thought, friends. <laughs> I'm reading verse 24 again. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Friends, Jeremiah said in chapter 6, he says, Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. Friends, it's time we looked for those old paths that faith once delivered to the saints. Friends, there's a victory we can know, we can attain. I have to believe that this morning. Do you know what it means? If you, go, if you look at your life and you go, my whole experience says to the contrary, I don't see, do you know? I don't see how, I don't see, I don't see how I could be filled with the Holy Ghost. If you're there this morning unsaved, I don't see how I could be saved. Friends, I'm telling you, it's time to lay aside feelings, thoughts, all these hindering things. It's the Lord's will that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And he has made a way, and he has always made a way where there seems to be no way, just like we spoke of the Israelites, as they came to the edge of that Red Sea, can you imagine their terror? Can you imagine their absolute terror? They're here just landlocked, right out of the edge of the sea, no place to go, no place to flee to. And you've got all that Egyptian army, Pharaoh with all of his chariots, and you hear them coming in the distance, and maybe you see the cloud of dust way off in the distance, miles away, but you know they're coming for you. And that's like sin, and that's like the enemy. And that's, that's what Satan wants, is to come and devour and steal and kill and destroy. And you kind of go, all it needed was for a God. All it needed was for God to make a way. And he did it. And friends, whatever sin, obstacle, trouble, believe that the Lord can make a way through your Red Sea. Let's bow our heads as we close today. Father in heaven, Lord, we love you. We thank you, Father, for your graciousness, your mercy, your goodness to us, Lord. Lord, Father, you've always given us, oh God, so abundantly and bountifully, oh God, you gave us, you didn't give us what our sins deserve, and you gave us, Lord, what we definitely didn't deserve, your salvation, Lord. And Father in heaven, oh God, I pray, Lord, as, as my friends leave here today, Lord, and as we sit in fellowship here today, Lord, Lord, Father, oh God, I pray, Lord, we'd be determined, oh God, Lord, not with, not with our strength, not with our great and determination, oh God, but Lord, that which comes from you and your Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray that we'd see, oh God, that there's grace sufficient to carry us where we need to go. Lord, Father, I pray for every brother and sister here this morning, oh God. Lord, I pray, oh God, that you'd grant them the victory over sin and obstacles. Deliver, oh God, where deliverance is needed, Lord. Lord, God, Father, make us a church filled with the Holy Ghost, Lord. My God, Father, 
Father, if we've left off seeking you, calling upon you, Lord, my God, Father, make us to call upon you again. Oh God of heaven, we call upon you this morning. We know you've never changed, oh God. Lord, we ask you for your forgiveness, oh God, Father, Lord, where we've lessened our expectancy, oh God. Lord, Father in heaven, oh God, where we've deluded ourselves at times thinking we were on top of Everest, oh God. But Father, we were just on little hills, Lord. My God, we don't want to be deceived. We want to press on that upward way. My God in heaven, we press toward the mark, oh God. Father in heaven, oh God, help us, oh God, not to have a low sense of expectancy, oh God. Lord, grant the victory in this room this morning, oh God, I pray. My God, I know you're doing something in our midst, oh God. I know you're here. You're here to help us. You're here to speak to us, oh God. Lord, move in these lives, I pray. Make us utterly different, oh God. Lord, I can't help but think of Peter there, oh God. And Father, all that he'd been in, all of that failure. And Lord God, Father, just to know that just the next day, Lord, just the next day, you were going to come and pour out your spirit. My God in heaven, to whom else shall we go? Thou hast the words of life. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your grace and your mercy towards us. Hallelujah.